0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of New Books Network. This is your host, Moteza Hajizadeh from Critical Theory Channel. Today, I'm honored to be speaking uh, to Dr. Sara Protasi. Dr. Sara Protasi is an associate uh, assistant professor of philosophy at the University of Puget Sound. She's here to talk to us about a very, very interesting topic envy. She wrote a book with Cambridge, published a book with Cambridge University, uh, uh, with Cambridge University called uh, The Philosophy of Envy sarah welcome to new books network
1: uh, thank you so much i I'm, I'm actually associate professor now but that's totally oh fine. sorry <laughs> well
0: i guess uh yeah the website should be updated associate yes, professor that means that i that. need to
1: update my information on social media <laughs> so i'll make sure to do that sure. um yeah so um as you said i uh, i work at the university of Puget sound and i'm very excited to be to be here with you today
0: thank you uh before we start can you please briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little about your field of expertise and then yes. also maybe you could tell us why you decided to wrote, write a book about the philosophy of envy
1: yeah um sure so um as you said i um i Uh, I work at University of Puget Sound and I work primarily in moral psychology and the philosophy of emotions. I've always been interested in the emotion. I'm originally from Italy, um, so I correspond to the stereotype of the passionate Italian, and um, when I was uh, a doctorate student, I actually have a PhD from University of Bologna in Italy, and I wrote my first dissertation on Love. And then uh, when I went to Yale University uh, where I got my second PhD, um, I started thinking about envy (laughs) and it might seem like an odd choice and we can talk later about how envy and love connect uh, with each other but I have to say that my interest now we in the order of the dissertation so first I wrote one on love and then one of envy actually my interest in envy predates my interest in love because I remember as really a young child and I talk a little bit about this in the preface of the book as a young child preparing for first communion back in Rome, uh, thinking about the seven deadly sins, thinking about the sacrament of, of um, confession, right, where you confess all your sins in this Catholic uh, traditional Christianity, I was really ashamed and concerned about envy <laughs> because, um, you know, I felt envy. And at the time, I kind of thought I was the only one because people don't confess their envy easily. Nobody was ever explicitly talking about their envy. And so I thought I was this terrible person who felt envy uh, when nobody else uh, did. Um, And to me, it was clearly the worst sin, right? As a little child, I didn't really feel any lust. Uh, I didn't think that gluttony was a big deal. Uh, I didn't get that angry, but envy, envy I knew. Um, And so that's something that, uh, that interest has accompanied me also through life experiences. For instance, I'm a, I'm a dancer um, and I think there's a lot of envy in dance schools because everybody's constantly comparing each other, their body, uh, their jumps, their how many pirouettes one can 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 do and so on and so forth. And so when I when I was thinking about the subject of my second dissertation, I ended up um, deciding to write on envy, and the the kind of the core of my dissertation on envy became the book uh, that I just published a couple of years mm-hmm.
0: ago. Fascinating story, and you are, you have a whole chapter on 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 love, which we'll yes. talk about soon. Uh, yes. It was interesting that you mentioned uh, about your interest in emotions. I'm really interested myself in the history of. Um, I'm interested in the history of. Middle Ages. I'm an amateur mm. reader of history of Middle Ages, and then the history of emotions started in Middle Ages. But I've seen more recent, and there are a lot of books on pain, anger, love. Uh, but but I've recently seen a lot of uh, books of philosophy on emotions as well. Yours, for example, on philosophy yes. of envy. I've seen there's one on loneliness, on 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 happiness. So uh, it's quite fascinating. And that, and then you said envy being. Uh, you didn't really feel guilty about that the in my language i speak my my native language is persian and we have three words well envy jealousy and i there is another word but i can never tell which one is which and more or less they all have some sort of negative connotations so i'm interested in this 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 uh, making a distinction between envy and jealousy how you define them and how you think they're different.
1: Yes, good. So actually, uh, it's really fascinating if we had time and if I had actually the linguistic expertise, we could talk more about how different languages have different terms for emotions and how that has an impact to an extent to our psychological experience, right? Language and culture do affect the way we experience our feelings, at least to an extent. And there is a very controversial debate about whether you know emotions or at least some emotions are hardwired and universal independently from the culture or the language that one speaks um or whether um instead it's all it's cultural all the way down right whether if you don't have say the words there are some cultures that seem to be uh don't have a word a term or a concept for anger is it really possible that these people don't feel anger at all so this is a huge controversy in philosophy in anthropology in psychology we're not going to get into that but i think for envy and jealousy the two emotions that you mentioned there is a consensus that uh one these are co- these are culturally these are complex emotions that are affected by culture to an extent but at the same time um anthropologists seem to agree that there is no culture void of envy so there seems to be some evidence that something like what we mean when we say the english word envy is also felt and present in a community of persian speakers of italian speakers and so on and so forth however in english uh, and actually um in it, in some in some other languages, there is a lot of confusion between envy and jealousy, and perhaps in Persian too, because sometimes the word, sometimes English speakers tend to use the word "jealous" to mean both jealousy proper and envy. But psychologists think that these are two distinct emotions, and, and they can be characterized roughly in the following terms. When I feel so envy is an aversive that is an unpleasant, a negative affect emotion that is felt in response to a perceived disadvantage or or inferiority toward a similar other in a context, in a context of or domain of self importance that motivates me to overcome this disadvantage. Uh, Now, this sounds like a handful. Uh, uh, We can think about an example. So, imagine that. Um, You know, I feel envy toward another scholar, another philosopher. Uh, That means that I have this unpleasant feeling uh, that is in response to the fact that I perceive this other person as perhaps a better philosopher than I am. And philosophy is important to me. It's what I do as a professor. It's something that characterizes my self-identity. So it's a domain of self-importance. And of course, this other person, for me to feel envy toward this other person, it can be that they are, I don't know, just starting. Maybe they are a postdoc or it's unlikely that it's going to be maybe a full professor, but maybe it's another associate professor like me, or maybe it's another woman, someone that I feel similar to. And so the comparison between me and this other person makes sense. Right, it, it tells me if this person who's similar to me is doing better than me in my view, of course, then that's reproach to me in some sense, as Aristotle um, would say uh, in the Nicomachean Ethics. And so, so envy is an emotion. It's a proactive. Some people think it's a necessarily aggressive emotion, but we'll get to that. It's an emotion that looks at the status quo and says, "Uh-uh, I don't like this." Why is this person doing better than me, or why is, does this person have, you know, a bigger house, or a more beautiful partner, or a fancy watch, or whatever? What, what, whatever envy is about? This emotion tells me, oh, there is something here that I care about, that is important to me for, you know, for, for what I am, and I'm not doing as well as the other, as the other person. So it wants to change the status quo. Jealousy is an emotion that is in many ways similar to envy. Also, there are three parts. There is a person who holds the emotion. There is another, the target of the emotion, the person toward whom I feel the emotion. And there is an object that has some good quality, something that we care about. The emotion is about something good. But the problem with jealousy is that this good thing that I have may be lost to an adversary, to a competitor. So typically we talk about romantic jealousy, although there are also other cases, but typically, you know, I'm if I'm jealous of someone, there is a kind of rival, romantic rival, is because they are threatening, in my view, some important r- romantic relationship, for instance. And so for jealousy, in jealousy, I want to keep the status quo, right? I have this good thing that I don't want to share with anybody else, perhaps it's this relationship, Perhaps it's my time, my privacy or whatever it is that you're jealous of. I want to keep this good thing exactly where it is in my possession. And so we can think of jealousy and envy as complementary emotion. Uh, Jealousy guards what envy covets. But also you can, of course, feel them toward the same person. And that's where we get confused. Because, for instance, I might be envious and jealous of someone at the same time. Perhaps I am jealous um, with regard to my uh, romantic relationship, of this other person who, you know, my partner maybe seems to like this other person and I, I get jealous. And perhaps the reason why I come to think that they are threatening my relationship is because they look cooler. They are more attractive, more witty. They seem to have qualities that I lack. And so I want to, you know, so I'm, I want to protect this relationship because I feel like. That they had, they're better than me in some ways, and so in that kind of case, it may be hard to distinguish envy and jealousy. But the scholarly consensus is that they are distinct emotions. That in most paradig- in, in the majority of the paradigmatic cases, are quite, quite distinct.
0: Uh, that, that that helps us a lot to to sort of be able to you know to, to to kind of tell the two from one another. But as you also mentioned, it sometimes it gets very complex, and you also talk about hybrid or transitional cases of envy. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, life is complicated. Reality is complicated. We like to put labels on emotions, but sometimes it's really hard to figure out what we're feeling, and it can either be hard to understand ourselves, but also the situation might be complicated enough that it's objectively vague. What kind of, or there might be, there might be some some kind of hybrid emotion. So, uh, for instance, again, especially in this kind of romantic relationship, we might imagine that at first. I am uh, feeling jealousy, like a, a clear cut case of jealousy. There is a romantic partner who's threatening my relationship. But we might imagine that at some point the relationship starts unraveling. Um, and I, I maybe at some point, you know, I get divorced from my partner, I fall out of love. And so at some point, there is no relationship, no special relationship that I want to protect anymore. But I still might find myself feeling. Uh, envy for this person because this person might still have this like cool qualities that i perceive myself as lacking so even though i don't love that person anymore i might still feel my self esteem i still feel threatened by the that the former romantic rival and so in that case i started feeling jealousy and and perhaps at some point i was feeling both envy and jealousy they were this kind of hybrid state but then i end up feeling envy only Or there might be case, I talk about this case of the the ugly duckling. Um, Imagine that there is a little child who um, is just not loved as much as their siblings. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen that much, but it might happen, right? That your parents, or at least that's your impression. You don't feel loved as much as as your siblings. Um, What do you feel toward your more loved siblings? It's complicated. It could be one of those cases where there is a hybrid emotion, because on the one hand, You seem to be clearly feeling envy um, because, um, you know, your sibling have this important thing that you don't have, your parents love. At the same time, we tend to think of paternal and maternal love as, you know, the the love that parents feel. It's something that everybody is sort of entitled to. It's something that you should you should always have. And jealousy is often the emotion of entitlement. It's often the emotion that we feel, um, you know, it's felt with things that you are supposed to have and that someone else threatens. And so this might be a case where it's also jealousy because even though you technically don't have that love, it seems that in some sense you should have it. And by the way, the reason why in English we, we say jealousy when we mean envy sometimes, it's precisely because jealousy is a little less stigmatized. We do stigmatize cases of excessive jealousy, like someone who is completely paranoid, someone who is excessively possessive, uh right? Someone like Othello, the famous, you know, famous cases of, of 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 excesses. Well, those we condemned. But overall, we think that a little bit of jealousy is normal. It's healthy. It shows that you care about a relationship. And so, because envy instead is much more stigmatized, right? So jealousy is about protecting something you have. That seems good and right. Whereas envy is about in the traditional conception, taking away something from, from someone else, then when we want to talk about our envy in ways way that are less threatening or that uh, are less prone to stigma, then we say, oh, you know, I'm a little jealous, which is a way of saying that, well, I'm envious, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a bad person. <laughs> I feel this kind of emotion that is is more legitimized. And so that's one reason why in English, because in English, there is no term that refers to a benign kind of envy.
0: And, and I, I used to think that envy was completely a good thing. But again, reading mm. your book, you talk about benign envy and malicious envy. I really like the way you talk about this uh, orientation. like They call it leveling orientation towards envy. So I think that's a good distinction to kind of um, discuss for our listeners as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's become in the last twenty years, uh, or so, especially in social psychology, there has been a growing group of scholars. They have defended the idea of a benign kind of envy. Uh, this started especially with a with a Dutch uh scholar, uh, Niels Van de Ven, and with other um. With, now there are German um, psychologists too. Um, for instance, uh, young. Crucius and uh, Jens Lange and many others uh, who have started to show that there is evidence that uh, people feel different kinds of envy. And they, they noticed this actually because of linguistic evidence. So Niels van Teven is, um is Dutch and in Dutch there are two terms for, for envy. And so he noticed it was like, well, what about these two different things? Um, and that actually happens, I believe, in in Arabic, in uh, in Thai. There are many languages where there seems to be at least two terms for, for envy. So what's the difference? Well, there is the bad kind of envy that we're all familiar with, the malicious one where you are motivated. So envy is painful because it tells you that there is some kind of disadvantage or inferiority, and so it motivates you to do something, to act. How can you act? Well, you take away the thing that you don't have right? And of course, it gets complicated, depending on what it is. But it's kind of the traditional, um, also iconography of the evil eye, the evil eye, the superstitious, the superstitious idea of the evil eye is that you look at someone with envy, and and that thing magically gets ruined, right? Uh, envy spo- spoils everything. And so, uh, you know, a kid, sees another kid playing with a toy and they take it away from them. Or like, uh, you run faster than me, I'm going to trip you, right? All these bad things that envy seems to motivate us to do, you know, I pull the envy down to my level. But that seems to happen only because I don't think I'm myself capable of getting there. But what if I do think there? So psychologists notice that there is something called um, perception of control. When I feel in control over my ability to overcome the disadvantage over my ability to self-improve, to improve my situation, when I feel confident that I can become you know, as good a philosopher as this other person or as rich as the other person, then I am motivated to level up, to push myself up to the level of the envy. And I'm not motivated to harm the other person so envy as a vice as this sin only is really a malicious envy that motivates to level to level down right so this leveling orientation i talk about in the book refers to whether it's a kind of envy that motivates me to level down or up um and so this distinction between malicious and benign envy has become pretty uh pretty standard in many uh, social psychological comp- context in my work i complicate things a little bit more, uh, and so uh, a lot of philosophers have talked about what we care about, um, and and they have noticed, uh, starting for from Aristotle, actually, ancient Greek philosopher, um, who they started noticing that well, one other factor that determines whether we want to level up or down is whether do we think we we care about the good that we lack for its own sake or just because the other person has it. And it seems that when we care about something for its own sake, then we 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 don't want just the other person to lose it. We want to acquire that, right? If what I want is to become a better philosopher, then it's not going to help my situation, really, if another person, for whatever reason, becomes a less good philosopher. <laughs> um, and so because these two different kinds of factor um, do not really correlate we can intersect them as two variables i talk about two variables in the book and we can and they become orthogonal distinctions and so perception of control and focus of concern are these two different factors that determine four different kinds of envy what and we'll talk about in a little bit um what i call emulative envy um inert envy aggressive envy and spiteful envy
0: And and, and I think that was my my next question. I know it's a little bit um, expensive, but I'm going to get you to talk about it because it's important. But before that, maybe I should start with a broad question. So do you think that ethically speaking, envy is bad or not? And then maybe we can get to those categories that you come up with. uh, Aggressive envy, inert envy, and emulative envy.
1: Yes, good. So... um even just saying whether something is ethically bad, um, philosophers would want to add at least one complication uh, to this in the sense that uh, there are at least two important dimensions. In ethics, uh, one is uh, what is usually considered a synonym with ethical and that is moral badness or goodness, right? Um, So whether something is morally good or bad, well, there are lots of ways of thinking about it, but one kind of simple way to think about it is Does this thing, this behavior, this principle, this sort of affairs, is this bad for other people other than the agent? Am I harming someone? A lot of times when we condemn a behavior and emotion uh, as morally bad or ethically bad, what we mean is that, well, you're harming other people. You're doing something bad to others, and we don't think that's okay. So, of of course, with malicious envy, it seems like, well, if you trip a person who's running in front of you out of envy, that's bad. I mean, that poor poor person, right? They're innocent. You're doing something to to, to them, um, and that's morally bad or ethically bad. But another dimension, uh, or you know, vice versa, you could be helping someone, and that's morally uh, good. But another dimension uh, is what traditionally is called prudence. Um, so prudential badness or goodness has to do with what's good for the agent, for our well-being, right? And so sometimes. Uh, we think that something is ethically good in some context and what we mean by that is that it's good for our well-being and now in different moral systems the way morality and prudence uh, relate to one another can be very complicated but you can see how these two things can and so for some authors actually they can come apart and what's at what's what's good for you has to also be uh, morally good but for for some other people these two things can come apart and so for instance if I trip someone in front of me and then I win the race, well, that's obviously a bad thing to do to them. So I'm doing something immoral, but it's good for me because I get there first. And so uh, whether something is ethically good or bad depends a little bit on what you mean by um, ethically bad. And also, as we will see, it depends on the kind of envy <laughs> that we are talking about.
0: Uh, and, and what about uh, emulative envy? Is it, uh, can it be a virtue? if it's neither if it's neither more nor prudentially bad
1: so good so let's think about emulative envy and then we can actually the question of whether it's a virtue is even i think a more complicated one so Mm. uh i define emulative envy as um the kind of envy where i am more focused i'm a focus on the good on the good thing that i think i lack right um and I my perception of control is high. I think I can actually get that thing. And so I am motivated to self-improve. For instance, um again, maybe it's a matter of philosophical talent. I work harder. I look at this other person who seems that I'm envious of, who seems to be a better philosopher than me, and I work really hard. Maybe I take them to be a model to emulate. Um and so my my envy is emulative. And as you already mentioned, This envy doesn't seem to be ethically bad in either way. It's not morally bad because I don't do anything to this person. Um, And it's not prudentially bad because, of course, my situation improves. And so it seems that it's neither morally or prudentially bad. We can talk in a second about whether that's enough to make it a virtue. Uh, That's enough to make it not just not bad, but actively good. Um, But things get different when we think about for instance, inert envy, we can see that inert envy inert envy, I define it as uh, being focused on the good. So for instance, let's think about again myself as being envious of someone for their philosophical talents. Um, but I don't think I can become as good as them. Uh, perhaps I'm very insecure. Perhaps I have uh, I have a job that you know keeps me uh, very busy with teaching. I don't have time to do research. Perhaps I have small children. Perhaps I am too poor to go to conferences. All sorts of reasons might make it the case that I'm envious of this other person, but I don't think I can improve my situation. And so I still am now my emotion will still not lead me to harm the other the other person. I don't want them to lose their philosophical talents. so it's not morally bad. But it's prudentially bad in the sense that perhaps, you know, I will not want to be friends with them and notice, you know, how good they're doing. Um, Perhaps it's, you know, this is a kind kind of counterproductive state where I want something that I don't think I can have, so I'll be sulking, I'll be kind of sad, uh, I'll be maybe a little depressed. And so this kind of inert envy is not prudentially good for me. And inert envy may easily devolve into worse morally worse kinds for instance aggressive envy perhaps uh in a moment of weakness i start spreading some gossip or rumors about this person right i try to harm their reputation so maybe this person well you know i can't get to the fancy conferences that this person goes uh, gets into but maybe this person is not invited to places anymore because i've damaged their reputation and so uh perhaps i can't i can't literally steal their philosophical talents although in some cases of envy we can steal someone's good but at least i can take away enough that is related to uh to their their talents such as their reputation and so my envy becomes aggressive um and and that's obviously morally bad in the cases in which the good can be stolen Aggressive envy actually can be prudentially good. Um, Again, take the case of the race. Um, You know, if I'm second in a race and I trip the person in front of me and nobody notices, well, I'm first, right? I haven't become any faster. Perhaps I don't beat any personal record, but I still got in first. I I get a gold medal out of it, right? And so I think aggressive envy can be morally bad, but prudentially advantageous. And this is, actually what makes it a little risky. I mean, there are some people, you know, perhaps people with very little scruples, psychopathic tendencies or things like that. Some of these people do bad things and nobody catches them. And I think we know actually from evidence that actually a lot of, they can feel envy um, and envy can motivate a lot of bad behavior that can bring genuine, at least prima facie, the first pass, it seems that these are genuine advantages. Now, can emulative envy, uh, now clearly aggressive envy, Envy is not good, it's it's a vice, it's not a virtue. Inert envy also seems to be at best morally neutral. Um, Can emulative envy be a virtue? Well, virtues are complicated. Um, Many virtue ethics accounts um, seem to suggest that to be fully virtuous, you have to satisfy a whole lot of constraints. Um, And one thing... That matters in this case with regard to envy is whether the thing that we envy is actually good because we feel envy for a lot of things that turns out to be not that good popularity right people who want to be popular on social media is that really a good thing Uh, it seems like a pretty shallow good so if you're someone who's envious about So popularity on social media I don't think that counts as virtues because it's a shallow good um, and that holds for a lot of conspicuous consumption objects of conspicuous consumption status symbols that elicit a lot of envy but it's not clear to me that those are really good things right I want to get a lot of cars I want to get a golden watch or whatever I mean I might be a moralist maybe maybe the listener will disagree with me but I'm not convinced that those are really good things. uh, And we actually have a lot of empirical evidence that shows that, you know, having a lot of those objects really doesn't bring you any happiness or any satisfaction. Uh, But imagine, again, someone who's envious of someone because of some kind of intellectual pursuit And they work really hard, stimulated, motivated by this envy. They work really hard at bettering themselves or as an athlete, right? Maybe there is all these rivalries in sport, and some of them are actually uh, between friends or people who are friendly and who constantly push each other to be a better, you know, runner, better athlete. Or in the series of novels, The Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante we see the friendship between these two the two protagonists these two girls who grew up in a very difficult in a po- in a poor neighborhood in naples and we see a lot of bad kinds of envy in the book but we also see a lot of emulative envy it's in virtue of their and their kind of competition at school and their feeling envy for each other that uh they at least one of them manages to pull herself out of a very disadvantageous uh backgrounds so uh it seems to me that those kind of envy can be those kind of emulative envy can be virtues if the if it's pursued again in the right way and without hurting other people.
0: Now let's uh, talk about envy and love and that's yeah. what you did your PhD thesis on as well. They there might be this conception that these two are not really compatible. Envy and love are not really compatible uh feelings. Uh, but can they be compatible or maybe you could provide some examples of cases where, yeah. um, you know, envying a beloved one can be a good thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, good, good, yeah, yeah. And I, I run ahead a little bit here, yeah, bringing in the the brilliant friend, which is an mm. often an example that I use for the compatibility <laughs> of love and envy. So love and envy traditionally are seen, again, in many religious um, and philosophical traditions are seen as not just different, but opposite. Um, uh, famously, uh, St. Paul in the letter to the Corinthians said that love does not envy, among other things. Love seems to be, uh, you know, all about being happy for another person, rejoicing of another person's good fortune. Uh, it's all about benevolence and it's, it's a positive feeling. It's Although some people don't think that love can be reduced to a feeling, but love at least is accompanied by many positive emotions. Um, when you love someone, you want what's what's best for them. And instead, of course, when you envy someone, you are in this kind of competitive mindset mindset where you might sometimes, if you feel, you know, this kind of aggressive, malicious kinds of envy, you want them to not do very well, right? So they see at face value, they seem like incompatible. And in fact, some people think that by trying to feel more uh, affection and gratitude for another person you can distinguish inst- envy and vice versa some people might think well if you feel envy toward the beloved that means you don't really love them right how can you how, that's not that love is not genuine and in my work I try to dispel what I think is a, is a kind of moralistic and naive myth <laughs> I think there's lots of evidence that we feel envy toward the people we love I already mentioned sibling rivalry which is very very common. I see it with my, my kids. Uh my kids clearly love each other and also they feel envy toward each other and, and jealousy and many other emotions and they talk about it uh with me and I tell them that it's normal. We sometimes envy the people that we love. Uh, we're distinct people after all. Uh, and this happens even in a romantic situation where there is more sometimes of a fused identity, right? There is a couple identity. Um, and so that helps to assuage some envy, but still we're, diff- we're individuals, right? We're not fused together even in love. We still have our own goals and objectives. And if it happens that that we share those same, for instance, goals with another person, and so you know, my my partner is also a philosopher, uh, and so we have competed literally for the same job, <laughs> right? When we went on the on the job market, and and so it's normal to feel envy when the other person is seemingly doing uh, better than you. Furthermore, I think it's almost unavoidable, and I talk about this in the book. I think that love and envy, in some ways, are two sides of the same coin, because especially in romantic love, but not only, you know, we similar people attract each other and we tend to share values and interest in love, in in romantic and friendly relationships, in in a family love, we often have the same background, um, the same history. And so we're constantly immersed in a situation where we're similar to one another and we care about the same things. And so competition at a point becomes unavoidable. And even when the other person attracts us for their beautiful qualities, right? Those, those attractive qualities, might become a source of envy if we end up in some cases competing for for the same thing or if we end up in a comparative situation um, and in the book i go i go more into the details of those kind of psychological mechanisms but the short version is that i think it's really unavoidable sometimes at least to envy the people that we love but we should destigmatize it as something that is normal and the good news is that envy is not necessarily bad Right. So it can be bad and destructive. There are some relationships that are ruined by the wrong malicious kind of envy. So, what we have to do, we have a moral responsibility and also responsibility toward our beloved to try and not feel those kinds of envy, to try and pursue uh, different things when possible to reassure ourselves that you know we can improve our situation to support one another perhaps to engage in fair competition right and share resources with your friends and colleagues and not hoard uh resources and you know and be and be selfish to remind each other that well you know this time I got this job next time you will get this job this time I won this award you will win that you know so like um or you know I make a lot, I do a lot of a lot of my examples are about academic stuff, which might not be as relatable. But, but there are all sorts of different ways in which we can support one another, and also forgive one another when we do end up feeling the wrong kind of envy. And again, I think my brilliant friend shows how sometimes envy can be really intense. Uh, at some point in the book, one of the the protagonists talks about really like wanting the other person to die, like pretty intense envy and. I've heard my kid right talk in those very intense terms, especially when one is a child. It was like, "Oh, I want to kill her," and that just shows the intense envy that you may feel toward your sibling. But of course, that doesn't really mean <laughs> that one that you wanted a person to die just speaks to a very intense emotion that can be tamed and controlled and accepted as a just a normal part of human nature.
0: And uh, another really fascinating part of your book was political envy, and that's something that I never really associated envy with. In I mean, the political arena. So, yeah. w- what do you mean by political envy?
1: Yeah, so I mean a couple of different things. Um, one, when I think about envy in the political sphere, I think it, I'm thinking about the political sphere as 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 a, as a as a place where we relate to each other not primarily as individuals as in our friendships and romantic relationships or family relationships, but as members of social groups, uh, or as members in a in a polity, as members in a in a you know, in a country or in a in a, an association and so on and so forth. And so sometimes there are things that are called there are emotions that are called group emotions, emotions that are felt in virtue of being part of a group, which are actually shown to be different from emotions that you would feel, it's not just that you, you know, that say, group envy is the envy felt by all these different people in an emotion, and like it's the sum of all these different individuals' envy, but it's something above and beyond the the sum of individual uh, of individual envy, because sometimes we feel envy in virtue of being part of a certain group toward people of another group so for instance a lot of political philosophers have discussed class envy um and that's a complicated topic i don't think we have time to get into because some some people think that this idea of class envy has been um, kind of strument- like it's been used as a tool for political conservative conservatism and denial of, of of justice um but assuming that there is something like class envy that's a political kind of envy it's the envy that the have-nots feel for the haves for those who have more but also i talk about a slightly different kind of political envy which is the envy that an individual might feel toward another individual but in virtue of of factors that are political that have political impact they have political import for instance Social identity is widely discussed in politics today. So things like gender and race, for instance, are very salient in the contemporary political discussion. And so I think that sometimes there can be something like racialized envy, envy that maybe, say, a white person, and I talk about this in a particular case in a, in a Spike leaf movie, Do the Right Thing. So Spike Lee in the, in, in the movie, Do the Right Thing, uh, interpre- interprets the role of Mookie, who is this, this young um, African-American man and uh, Pino the other character one of the other characters in the movie is this Italian-American white guy who's racist Um, and you might expect Pino to only feel contempt uh, maybe fear uh, toward African-Americans. But in a conversation with Mookie, we see that actually what he's, he's feeling, among other things, is envy. This kind of envy, envy I think, for, I argue, it's it, he's envious of Mookie. But what I argue in the book is that this envy is not simply envy that one one person feels toward another, uh, but it's an envy that has, has ra- racialized ra- racial undertones and more than undertones, uh, because there is something about. Uh, this white person envying this other person in virtue of features that are racialized, that in virtue of things that are associated with being black and being African American. And what's interesting to me is that we often associate racism with certain kind of emotions, emotions of fear and contempt and maybe anger. But we rarely think about how envy plays a role and ha- how sometimes we can, feel, you know, again. Human beings are complicated, emotions are complex, and sometimes depending on how we look at people, depending on what's salient to us in different moments, even when we we feel we we are racist towards some, somebody, we might not just look down on them, but we actually uh, might be envious of some of the features that they have.
0: And you, you briefly mentioned it. But in general, in today's world, how do you think this political envy plays a role in racism? I'm especially yeah. thinking maybe in the United States, not only there, I mean, everywhere in the world, whenever there's these, these feelings towards refugees, maybe in England. Yes. Uh, or Black Lives Matter movement in the United States. How... how what role do you think it plays in concep- yeah, conceptions yeah. of this, right? These racist so I, stereotypes. Yeah.
1: So you know, as I, I, I have to say that talking about envy and isolation in, in the political context is complicated. I, I start the book by distinguishing between envy and, and jealousy, and I end the book by saying, however, in the political sphere, it might sometimes be hard to disentangle envy, jealousy, and resentment—a uh, third emotion, a certain kind of anger that has to do with perceived wrong wrongdoing and which, which has a particular um, inflection, which resentment is particularly concerned with um, someone has wronged me in a way that can be politically relevant um, and that uh, need, needs to be redressed. And so, so I do think that, for instance, with regard to immigrants in many countries, there's this complicated dynamics that often follows the same pattern. You, you get these immigrants who are hard workers usually, and so you let them in, and they take on these difficult jobs, often manual jobs, and they don't ask for a lot of money, so you happily exploit them, and then at some point this creates a pressure <laughs> the economy in the market right for it, it, on on the domestic workers right because they they feel they feel as like you know they're 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 getting out of a job because there are all these people who are doing better than them in some ways and so those features they used to make and i think i argue in the book that we see this phenomenon especially with asian immigrants in the u.s at the beginning at the end of the 19th century in the beginning yeah at the end of the 19th century where there were all these chinese workers for instance were considered were praised at the beginning for being so diligent such, such great laborers and who were considered to be in some ways better than say i don't know native americans or or other people who are authorized and considered like no, no white people but then all of a sudden <laughs> The mood starts changing because these people are perceived as stealing their jobs. And so again, here we see both envy and jealousy, right? This emotion of protecting what's mine and resentment, because you think these people are not white, they don't deserve what you know, they don't deserve our jobs, they don't deserve to be here. And so all these emotions are get entangled in this very ugly mix, and then you have pogroms, you have this this really ethnical cleansing um, events um, and and the Chinese exclusion act and you have all these these laws that were made to prohibit um, Chinese laborers and other Asian laborers from um, from getting these jobs from entering the country and and again there were actual violence and entire neighbors neighborhoods were you know burned down and and so things got ugly. <laughs> uh, pretty quickly but what's interesting is that it started on a positive note of like oh you know the Chinese is such a good it's the good kind of immigrant and you still see in the U.S. this myth of the model minority right which is a double-edged sword it's like it seems like a positive stereotype but not really because these people are still considered others are still and envy actually there is evidence that shows how you know, envy toward, we feel envy toward social groups that are perceived to be highly competent, but we still don't like them. They're not like us. Um, and we have seen with the pandemic, with the coming pandemic, how much Asian, um, anti Asian hatred spiked, showing that, you know, this modern minority thing was was never really a positive thing. You're still a minority, you're still other, you're still not us. And of course, by us, I'm, I'm speaking like the mainstream white American. Um, who thinks of themselves as like the only American right Um, and I think that is especially in this kind of phenomena and it, it's not just me I mean there has been a, a little bit of empirical work um that kind of connected the anti-Asian hatred in the pandemic with group uh, envy which actually I didn't it, it, it happened after I wrote the book so I don't talk about it in the book but I was happy to see that there was some evidence <laughs> Uh, for supporting what I was talking about in the book
0: is there is there a case maybe where political envy can be turned into a virtue or can be considered a virtue rather than a vice because it's generally Um, associated with negative things
1: yeah I am careful about this I do think that because that I do think that envy is a is an emotion that it kind of got shaped evolutionarily in in some way to serve the individual better than the group um because one problem is that envy envy is this competitive emotion that i think can be particularly dangerous in time of heightened political divisions in times in which social identity has become so in, in some ways it, it's good right i mean people have become proud of their identities of and, and there are all these identity groups but those can also they can unite the people within the group, but they can divide uh, people of different groups. And so so I think it's tricky because I think political envy does devolve pretty quickly into the more negative kinds. Um, I do think that it can play a transitional role uh, because it can kind of wake up the individuals or the members of a group to the fact that, oh, someone else is doing better than us. How can we emulate those people? So an example I use for this is um it's maybe it's a small example, but um in a lot of American universities, there are student unions, and these these are in these are unions that sometimes are about social identity and, for instance, racial identity. And so at some point in the country started started. Um, These groups of uh, black students' use unions started to to come out because a lot of you know in a lot of universities black students were in the minority. They needed a place where to feel at home, where to feel empowered, where to share their experiences, and so black students' unions started popping popping up in in different universities, and then. Little by little, other groups followed, right? So my school, for instance, has not just a Black Students Union, but also an Asian American, Asian, an Asian Students Union, which, and then there is like all sorts of other groups that came out. Um, and 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 you know, in general, I think some some movements can pave the way. Uh, Right. For for social justice. Obviously, we have in the United States, we had the civil rights movement. And then only after the civil rights movement started to support the rights of African-Americans, things like disabled acti- activists started taking on the same path, right? So here you might think, well, maybe there was a little bit of envy, right? Maybe these other people saw, hey, these people are organizing and doing all these things for themselves. Maybe we can do that too. So if if what moved them was some kind of envy, that would be a political kind of envy, and it would certainly be an emulative kind of envy. Um, I don't think this has ever been tested empirically. I think it's a speculation of mine. I just don't know how much this kind of envy can do. So I think it can be a transitional emotion. But then at some point, you know, envy is not really an emotion that is concerned with morality or justice. It's really very much about yourself and what you how you can improve your situation. And so that's why I'm a little hesitant to think about it as um, I think its role So far, I'm I'm more worried about its negative role, the dangers of political envy, more than its benefits. But it's also possible that I'm excessively pessimistic, and maybe other folks can work and see if there is also actually, you know, there's not a lot of sociologists working on envy, unfortunately. But I think this would be the role of either psychologists who work on group emotions or sociologists who can see, okay, are there positive ways in which envy shapes the the social the the social political Sphere, I'm. There's just also not a lot of evidence on it. There's a, a ton of research on envy in relationships between individuals, but there is not as much research on this.
0: Uh, before ending this uh, interview, I'd like to ask if there's any other projects, books you're currently working on.
1: Yeah. uh So I am. I am working on a project on a on a on a second book that. Where I want to explore the themes of love and envy um, in a more accessible way. I'm really fascinated by the by these two emotions together in a relationship. Um, and but it's still too to the initial stages for me to share to share more than that. I've also been thinking a little bit about courage mm. and how courage is, you know, we often think of courage, perhaps conditioned by past philosophers. We always think of col- courage in some sort of militaristic way, right? Courage in battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Aristotle, of course, started thinking about it in those terms. And um, But I want to think about courage in the context of, um, you know, peer pressure and social relationships and whether sometimes uh, we can learn more about courage if we think about how we are these deeply social creatures um, that can be sometimes deterred from doing the right thing because of what other people think of us. Um, So, so this would be a fairly different project, but just having to do with, again, I'm I'm fascinated by how we relate to one another and how good and bad things can stem Mm -hmm. from the same psychological mechanisms. And I, Mm -hmm. I do think, that a lot of immorality, a lot of bad behavior stems from um, stems from fear, from fear of not being enough, from fear of not being loved, from fear of not being liked. And so I want to think more about fear and courage in the mm. context of social relationships.
0: Dr. Sara Protasi, thank you very, very much for uh, taking the time to talk with us on New Books Network. Really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure.